Hey everybody, this is Mike Oppenheim, and you are listening to Coffin Talk, Interviews with the Living, a weekly podcast that explores how our views on death affect the way we live our life. This week we have David Ross on the podcast. He's a 2009 convert to Catholicism from atheistic Satanism. In 2016, he launched Catholic Versus podcast, where he interviews guests of all walks of life in order to share various perspectives on faith and philosophy. And I was very fortunate to be a guest on his show, and I loved it. And so I begged him to come on the podcast, and luckily it didn't take much begging. He was in. But anyway, he lives in Montreal, Quebec, which is in Canada, in case you didn't know that, which would be weird. But uh, And he also has a beautiful wife named Anna. And they have five wonderful houseplants who shall remain unnamed to protect their identities. And please check the notes for a direct link to his podcast. And please become a subscriber and a listener. Uh, so anyway, without any further delays, here is David. How are you doing, David? Yeah, well, it's great to meet you uh, on my podcast. And uh, I'm, I'm very grateful that you invited me onto your podcast. And uh, looking forward to hearing what you have to say. Awesome. Well, hopefully I will say very little and you'll say a lot because I want to pick your brain about what is a pretty bold move in two different directions. It's a bold move to atheistic Satanism in, in my belief system. And it's also a bold move back to, or not back, excuse me, into Catholicism. And what I mean by bold is just that these are religious faiths that do have like a real mission statement. Whereas if someone's agnostic, for example, they're just kind of saying, I'm not sure I'm waiting for more evidence and stuff like that. So before I start to pick your brain about both of those uh, religious decisions in your life, we always ask our guests, um, how old are you? Where were you? Uh, where did you grow up? And what generation, if any, do you consider yourself a member of? I'm 53 years old. I was raised in Kingston, Ontario, Canada, and I'm definitely Gen X all the way. <laughs> awesome. Very cool. And um, what do you think, uh, as a Canadian, and with all the years you've seen America and Canada coexist, um, what is kind of your philosophy on like what makes someone who's Canadian different from an American when you're someone who's not from either country? Like if a Brit or an Aus uh, Australian were to meet you and meet I, what would be like something you think they would notice? Yeah, well, we're supposed to be the polite, nice uh, country, you know, very neutral and friendly and uh, always apologizing. But that's less and less the case. And uh, today, uh, I'm sort of disappointed a little bit in the way our, our country is going. Uh, but I don't want to get too deep into the weeds there with politics. But uh, yeah, we, we used to be seen a little bit more innocent and uh, less and less so today. But uh, I'm still happy to be Canadian. I'm still proud of the Canadian people, uh, you know, the, the government and the different regimes. That's a different question always. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a great way to put it. And we don't get into politics on the show, but we always, you know, just let people express their philosophy. But I do think it's important because we've interviewed people from, I think, like 20 something countries now that, you know, uh, you're not a reflection of your government and your government is not really a reflection of you. People like to think it is. But, you know, I I certainly live in a country where I've seen many representations in a government that don't necessarily reflect me. Um, and of a similar kind of question, um, how different is it to live in Quebec and especially in Montreal, where French is prominently spoken, uh, coming from Toronto? Well, I was born and raised in Anglo-Ontario, uh, mm -hmm. so I was attracted to the province of Quebec and Montreal in particular because of the uh, the different relationship with work and with money. It's a little more laid back here, more of a quality of life 
cafe culture, or at least it used to be. Mm-hmm. You know, much to the chagrin of my conservative friends, I'm pro-immigration. I like having different cultures around. And uh, so, yeah, I'm very, uh, I'm very happy with Montreal for the most part. Um, but if you have a, any sort of motorized vehicle here, you're going to go through a lot of repairs because the roads are uh, worse than third world conditions. Well, you know, it's really funny. I've only been to Montreal once and I actually vividly remember hating the roads there. Um, that's funny. I lived in um, <laughs> Ithaca, New York for two years. So I drove up there once and it was, it was so beautiful though. Oh my God. Such a beautiful city. And uh, are you fluent in French now? Or are you always fluent? My French is not great, but I work in French. Uh, I speak and uh, communicate in French all day, every day at work. So it's uh, a sort of an involuntary penance that I do. Hopefully it will win me some air mile points to go to heaven because it's very painful dealing with French. But I, I'm an Anglophone and, you know, I, I love all languages. French is not my first choice for uh, languages, though. It's very complicated and uh, needlessly so, I would say. Wow, that's really interesting. And your wife, is she from Montreal? Did you guys meet up there, or is she also an Anglophone? No, she's also Anglophone from Ontario. She went to, uh, uh, or I met her when I was at university in her hometown of uh, Kitchener-Waterloo. And uh, she did uh, she did uh, an undergraduate in French literature, and her French is kind of like mine. It's uh, It's not perfect, but she can get by too. And uh, she actually studied in the south of France uh, for at least one semester. And so she, uh, you know, she's at home here too in Quebec. Cool. Very cool. Well, that's interesting. Um, I know it's kind of like maybe to you kind of boring, banal questions, but for me, it's like fascinating because we don't have, we have dialect cultures in America, but we don't have language groups. So it's a totally different ballgame. And then kind of moving into the focus of the podcast, which is more about philosophy and religion and metaphysics. uh, Were you raised atheistic satanism were you raised non-denominational what was like your <laughs> parents uh, philosophy that they tried or at least gave to you yeah i don't think anyone's raised uh <laughs> explicitly atheistic satanist i mean there there are a few wackos out there that would would do that but um you know the, i think the dominant religion of the world is atheistic satanism that's just my personal hunch um you know even uh, even people in the pews that you whatever religion of choice you go to a lot of them are atheistic satanists at heart because they they adhere to the teachings of atheistic Satanism, which have nothing to do with uh, God or Satan. It has to do with uh, self-love, self-will, will to power, and uh, you know, uh, an exaltation of reason, science, uh, you know, sort of false logos, if you will. And uh, so it's a very, very popular religion, but most people won't admit to it. I admitted to it because I went down the rabbit hole of philosophy. No, I was raised in a loosely uh, Protestant Christian home that was, you know, we went to church on Sunday uh, most of the time, and I really enjoyed uh, that, going to, uh, you know, very liberal Protestant uh, churches different of different denominations, the United Church of Canada, the Presbyterians, the Anglicans. Uh, we jumped around, as a lot of non-Catholics tend to do. And, uh, you know, there was prayer at meals, there was prayer before bed. So there was a, there definitely a Christian culture, a Christian element to it. But I wouldn't say that it dominated or that it was uh, really terribly um, front and center. You know, uh, I, can't speak for, I can't speak for anyone else in the family. But for me, uh, I, I loved it uh, until I lost my faith at age 14 and became an atheist. I loved going to church. But uh, I think it was maybe a little bit uh, of a loose cultural thing. And I'm sure my parents believe something, but I'm not exactly sure what they believe and how how, uh, how thoroughly they've examined 
their particular uh, face, you know? Yeah, sure. And what exactly, if anything, exactly happened at 14? Like, what was there a major... Puberty. Okay, okay, cool. (laughs) Puberty, the hormones, you know, noticing women and stuff Mm -hmm. like that, young women, obviously, Yeah. at that age, Um, (laughs) and uh, accidentally discovering pornography, which is, uh, you know, I I consider satanic uh, and very evil... uh, blight on society but uh what can you do i mean that, that was in you know that was in 1984 i turned 14 uh i was it was a much innocent more innocent time like today kids have access to so much uh pornography on their cell phones is really devastating so I'm, I'm, i thank god that i was born uh, in 1970 but still that was the the beginning of my of life of sin a dark period and uh, i don't know if it's coincidence or not but uh, right when i hit puberty i had a beautiful dream about jesus and he waved goodbye to me, and I woke up, and I had lost my faith in him and in God the Father and the Holy Spirit, and I was an atheist. And I knew it was counterintuitive, but I just said, well, that's that's what's happening. I can't pretend to have the faith anymore. I've lost it. So, And then at age 39, I came back, and I uh, into philosophy, and through going deeper and darker into atheism and atheistic statism and heart solipsism, I ended up uh, reading, of all things, the René Descartes uh, and came back to God. And uh, yeah, I had I got the faith again. That's really cool, and that's really interesting. And there's a lot of years between 14 and 39, so I might uh, circle back and have you um, get more into it. Uh, the the questions that are burning in my mind, though, because I think for our audience, it would be very fair if you could just uh, I'll let them work out atheism, and maybe I'll even ask you to define that. But can you just define Satanism the way you're going to use it the rest of the podcast? So I don't care if there's a larger group that disagrees with you, but when you refer to that term, what exactly is the tenet slash belief system for that? Well, I've already defined it. It's the self-love, self-will, my will be done. The the famous Christian prayer that our Lord taught us, it's the Lord's Prayer, and we say, uh, thy will be done, God. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the Satanist prayer is the inverse of that, my will be done. That's Satanism. That's That's it. That's that's atheistic Satanism. And there's no belief in God. Uh, From an atheistic perspective, it's mumbo-jumbo. All of religion is a fantasy. There's only logic, reason, science. And so it's a very very cold and clinical, rationalistic, deterministic Mm -hmm. worldview, atheistic atheistic Satanism. So it's about me, and it's about uh, truth and reason, and uh, that's the supreme irony of atheistic Satanism is that uh, the adherents think that they are smart and they think that they're pursuing the truth and there's absolutely no philosophical basis for any of their uh, beliefs you know even the sense perceptions that they that they use to do empirical science there's no philosophical basis for belief in the alleged sense perceptions so I discovered all of this uh, um, you know through the course of time mm-hmm. uh, I escaped from my heart solipsism and so I was able to embrace the, the real world, the other, and, uh, you know, the sense perception. They are real. They do correspond to a physical reality that we call creation. That's that's the Christian perspective. We have God, the creator, and then we have creation. So that's uh, sort of Cole's notes version of uh, comparing and contrasting atheistic Satanism with uh, the Christian worldview. Yeah, and I think the reason I asked you to isolate atheistic from Satanism, there's two reasons, and thank you, your definition was wonderful, so I'm not uh, pressing you about it. It's more that, to explain from my end, I know atheism very well because a ton of people I grew up with in the Bay Area of California call themselves atheists, but I've never 
as a younger person met someone who called themselves a Satanist, for example. And then the other thing that's confusing is you said it's not at all about God. Um, it's the denial of God, but the word Satan, the name Satan to me is like a name that is almost like an antonym to God. So that's where, for me, it was throwing me off. Why, if you know, why did they pick they, whoever it is, pick Satan as a word? Why not call it um, like hedonism or some other term that's more about my will? Well, because the, one of the, hobbies of the Satanists is to poke and prod and make fun of and ridicule Christ and his church. Like that's that's one of the main things. Is like to do theatrical um nonsense, sort of like the Dada school of art, where we undermine uh things through humor and absurdity. So we take on the name Satanism as a goal to prod the Christian mainly. That's the main thing. It's to to uh, look down our nose at these fools who believe these ancient uh, pagan myths that have been elevated to the state of uh, so-called religion. So that's that's the Satanistic edge, mm-hmm, sort mm-hmm. of an edgy sense of humor, and we're going to mock and ridicule. That's that's uh, I fully embraced that. I thought that was great. Yeah, you're really doing a great job explaining this, and I love hearing it. So then, now that I'm not going to say you're on the other side because that's not true, but now that you're on a side. <laughs> that thinks that that side is arrogant, do you feel or notice an arrogance in Catholicism that's like equally oppressive of that philosophy? Or how do you kind of like untangle those odds and ends? Well, sadly, I've got a foot in both camps. I'm not fully Christian. I'm still partly Satanistic. That's oh, okay. The problem. Because to be, fully, to be fully Christian would mean, you know, to be a saint and to be completely detached from the world and from sin. And uh, I, I regret to admit uh, that I do love the world. I love pleasure. I love, uh, you know, uh, I can't say that I love sin, but I do fall into sin. And uh, that's the struggle. That's the Christian struggle is to liberate ourselves from that worldliness, mm-hmm. from that Satanistic uh, element that we all have. And I'm ready, willing, and able to admit it. I can see it. And I, I just went to confession this morning. I confess my sins and I ask uh, Christ to give me the grace, uh, not only forgiveness, but the grace, the power to overcome concupiscence, this desire to to be worldly, to uh, take pleasure, and to put the creature above the creator, which is what sin always is at root. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the sin of Satanism is putting the self above the creator, and God's name is I Am. So, I mean, when you put yourself above the creator, you are saying, in essence, I Am, and you're making yourself a god. And so that's why I say that uh, hard solipsism uh, or even a soft solipsism or uh, different forms of Satanism, atheistic Satanism, they are very prevalent. And uh, I openly admit that I've got a foot in both camps. And the goal, uh, you know, as as a young Christian here, I've been Christian since 2009, and the goal, the ongoing uh, struggle is to be less and less of a Satanist and more and more of a Christian. And you'll know I've arrived when... Uh, I walk into a room and everyone's uh, turning their heads and coming to me to be healed and <laughs> you know, <laughs> basking it. in the glory of, of my of my saintliness. So I'm not there yet. Uh, it's, a, it's a great understatement to say I'm not quite there yet. That's cool. I really like your attitude. Um, I liked it on your podcast, and so I want to have you on. But it's really fun to hear you have more time and more of a runway to speak. So thank you. I'm, I'm fascinated by this. All right, my next question is a little weird, but I think it'll make sense to you. Um, wh- what is harder for your family to deal with you being a Catholic or you being a uh, atheistic Satanist Catholic for oh, sure. Okay. For sure. I think that would surprise a lot of people. That's what. 
Yeah, yeah, well, it's just way more, uh, it's way more uh, countercultural. Mm-hmm. Uh, because like I said, I mean, this is not to, um, you know, not being glib here, but uh, it is very popular for people to put themselves first a lot of the time, not 100% of the time, but a lot of the time to be selfish and, and to think of their own needs and the pleasures and these sorts of things. And that's, you know, that's, that's normal. And if you want to uh, read the history of the saints, you're going to see that the saints annoy the regular people. And even Socrates, who I consider sort of a proto-saint, uh, Socrates annoyed everyone with his uh, rigorous adherence to the truth as he saw it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they they killed him. <laughs> <You know? laughs> they killed him for his, his shocking and annoying love of the truth. He called, his nickname was the Gadfly because he, he annoyed everyone. Yeah. And so I'm not trying to be annoying. I'm not trying to be annoying, but it is very annoying uh, being a Christian. To the extent that you're Christian, you will annoy people. And to a certain extent, you have to be prepared to suffer and die as Christ did. That's, and so uh, that's another part of the of the faith. That's really, really interesting. And there's a peculiar, unexpected humility that you have that I don't necessarily, I'm going to be very careful with how I word this. People who are brought up Catholic and never broke don't seem to have that, and you do. And I'm saying seem to, because I don't know enough to really stereotype a whole group. I, I met a lot of Catholic people when I went to college. Um, and I'm from the West Coast, where there's very few Catholics. Um, and do you, uh, does it come between you and your wife, or is she also Catholic? No, she's extremely anti-Catholic. She's rabidly anti-Catholic, and she thinks the Pope is the Antichrist and these sorts of things. She was raised culture. I don't want to talk too much about her. No, yeah, like when course. I talk yeah. about her, but yeah, in public, in public. But I'll just say that she was raised culturally Greek Orthodox, and she's very proud of that culture, and she thinks that's the one true religion. But she doesn't practice it, which is, I think, a little bit hypocritical. But in any case, she hates the Catholic Church, and there's a cultural hatred of the Catholic Church from the Eastern Orthodox side, generally. I am familiar. It's not always the case, uh, yeah. but there is a, there is a cultural uh, antagonism there. So yeah, it's a very, it's a big, big uh, challenge. That's another one of my crosses mm-hmm. that I have to bear, but uh, I don't want to paint a pity party here. I mean, I'm, uh, we love each other and we yeah. have a good time uh, hanging out. We love each other. So it's not a, it's not a big, big problem, but it does flare up uh, occasionally. No, and it's interesting because I ask, because uh, my wife is was raised Jewish and is Jewish. And I was raised like sorta meh, like maybe Jewish. That's like the nicest way I could explain it. But, uh, very like my parents are much more into meditation and Eastern philosophy than they are into Judaism. So I did not get bar mitzvah. I don't, uh, consider myself Jewish in a religious sense. And so this also creates conflict between us and also not with her family, but her family is much more Jewish. So it's, it's always interesting me to ask people because I think, you should be able to have a different faith than your spouse and your family and, and even your children. So, um, and, and your houseplants, if that applies to you, what would you say at, like you said, Rene Descartes, like really pushed you, but like what pushed you to push into philosophy? Like what was going on in your life that made you think like, huh, maybe I should dive deeper into philosophy. Hey everyone. If you're a fan of the show, please head over to Mikeyop.com and click the subscribe button. It's the best way to support us and it's free. That's M-I-K-E-Y-O-P-P dot com. Thanks. Yeah, I've always been philosophically minded. Like, um, just about the time I lost my faith, I started reading Western philosophy. Mm -hmm. And it's been sort of an on-again, off-again love affair with uh, the history of Western philosophy in overview, just sort of do a smattering of readings from uh, chronologically, you know, through the Golden Age. 
Plato and Aristotle, and then all the way through up until I reached uh, I reached uh, you know uh, Rene Descartes. That's that's basically the the 25 years of atheism was mm-hmm. you know uh, pursuing the love of truth in a very slipshod on again off again way. And I would go through periods where I would do intensive reading and uh, putting together and falling uh, falling into rabbit holes and uh, the German idealism is one of the ones I always talk about where I sort of went deep into that you know uh, and so the, you know because I'm a Platonist at heart I really am a Platonist at okay. heart and so there's a whole Platonist school of there's a Platonist school of Catholicism mm. which I don't fully buy into because I, I reject certain parts of Platonism but you know there is a Platonist school and I, I do have those leanings and uh, there's the Aristotle which sort of dominates today, and I just sort of try to take the good from both from both camps. But in my heart of hearts, I really am a Platonist. And uh, for your listeners, to, just to roughly understand what the difference is, uh, you could make a cartoon character of it, where uh, Plato has his head in the clouds with his idealism and the the, the world of ideas, and uh, the, you know the, the forms, and forms of the forms, and these sorts of things, and uh, you know perfection and the one. And there's sort of a divine oneness, and uh, the Aristotelian approach is a little bit more empirical, bottom-up, a posteriori, you know, whereas Plato is more a priori. So yeah. that's just a real rough sketch of, of the differences. But the, the, they are there are two schools in Catholicism, and they you know they work together, complement each other, and uh, but they do conflict and uh, disagree on on certain finer details of theology, which is interesting, but I don't think terribly important. Mm-hmm. But if that's if that's the sort of thing you're into. It definitely makes for some interesting reading. Cool. All right. Well, I think this is the best time now to finally ask you what normally I ask guests a lot earlier in the podcast, but I needed to ask you a lot of questions because you've zigged and you've zagged and you're uh, one foot in two camps and you're just very eloquent and you describe (laughs) everything well. So what exactly do you think is going to happen to you when you die as of today? The recording date is October 22nd, 2023. Well, um, there's the separation of the soul from the physical body. That's the technical definition of death um and the soul is judged in a particular judgment so i meet the lord and uh, it's shown to me the reality of the use and abuse of my free will mm-hmm. and so that's uh hopefully not going to be too painful because hopefully i'm going to end up in heaven not in hell but those are the two outcomes that are possible i will either be designated for heaven or for hell and on the way to heaven if i'm if i'm destined for heaven because of the way that i used and uh, i used my free will and the way i repented of my abuses of free will uh, if god willing i make it to heaven i may uh, probably have to go through purgatory which is a purification and then I can be with God because nothing impure can stand before God. So uh, heaven is being with God, entering into the life of the Trinity, God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so heaven is uh, remaining who I am, and I'll be re- my soul will be reunited at the general judgment once uh, the end of time comes, because we believe that there's a beginning in time and there's an end in time. And uh, when the end of time comes, then there's a general judgment, and then we get reunited with our bodies and uh, we enjoy a new heaven, a new earth, and we see our families and friends who are in heaven. And uh, we'll even see those, I guess, who are down in hell, unfortunately, and we will not be 
saddened by that because we will understand the justice of God, the mercy of God, and everything will be just uh, well-ordered, and we'll understand uh, how those who did say no to God's graces ended up in hell. So there's no, there are going to be no tears, there's going to be no, no sadness, no frustration, and no temptation uh, in heaven. There will also be no faith and no hope in heaven because everything will be fulfilled, so it will just be love. And as St. Paul said, there's faith, hope, and love, but the grace of Jesus love because love is cool. So that's what death is for me. And uh, the, the, the four last things are uh, death, judgment, heaven, and hell. And the goal is to go to heaven and to avoid hell. Cool. I, I really like the way you explained it. Um, there are people who would say, like, that sounds really boring, just being, like, vast in love and all that. I'm not <laughs> asking that at all. That's not where my brain is going. But what I am curious about is who is going to experience this? Is it you, like David? Like, your body is a body. So is your yeah. brain part of your body or is your brain part of your soul or neither? Yeah, the brain is part of your body and your your mind is not your brain. Okay. Your brain, your brain is, you know, reacting to your mind, obviously. Um, the same way that the the pedals on a bicycle move when my legs move the pedals. It's not the pedals moving my legs, it's my legs moving the pedals. So my legs would be the mind and the pedals would be the synapses in the brain, okay? So um, in this analogy, so yeah, we're going to get a spiritualized body uh, that will resemble that of Adam and Eve pre-fall, like they fell from grace, but before they fell from grace, they were able to move at the speed of uh, thought and, you know, pass through if they wanted to, and, uh, you know, they were free from concupiscence. They had certain gifts that they lost at the fall. And so today we have, uh, you know, the wars in the Middle East and in Russia, Ukraine, we've got people torturing each other and uh, being mean to each other and these sorts of things because uh, our parents fell and they lost, uh, they fell from grace. So there are many graces that they lost. And so we're going to have those in heaven and probably more. And, uh, you know, there, it's outside of time because time has a beginning and an end. And uh, at the end of time, that's it. There's no more space time. We're in eternity. But we will still be able, we will still have access to the spatio-temporal. It's just that, that uh, you know, that four-dimensional object that we call space time uh, has served its purpose. Now we are at a higher level. And so I will be David. I will have my personality but I will not have the bad parts, you know, the, the selfishness and all, all the nasty stuff that, that I'm struggling with now as a Christian. You know? Wow. I mean, it's just really interesting because you're, I'm not in either of your camps, but I'm totally in your camp. So it's just interesting. It's fascinating. I'm 42 and I'm, <laughs> I'm in a similar like journey. Um, the only thing that never made sense to me is just like the, um, like, okay, if I sin, According to the Catholic face, I'm, I'm talking within one context. If I sin like 90% of my life, but then I'm like deeply atoning and apologetic and like truly, truly not contrived, but like genuinely sorry, is that okay? Is that enough? Or is there like an actual like, sorry, you got to pay more, you know, now I'm moving to a different terminology, but like karma points. Like now you like, sorry, but you've got to uh, absolve for these sins more. Yeah, karma is real. Karma is very real. Karma is cause and effect. And when you are part of a machine and you stick your wrench into the, the wheels, you're doing damage. I mean, that's reality. So that damage has consequences and you got to pay and your friends and family have to pay because you messed up. That's, that's what sin is. That's why we don't like sin because it messes up the, the great elegant creation that was supposed to be well-ordered, but our first parents fell and now things are out of whack. 
And so, like I said, we have war, disease, and famine, all these uh, natural disasters and everything else. And you, you know, there's original sin, that's one thing. And then there's you with your actual sin. You're messing things up even further. and You don't need to, but you're bound to because, uh, you know, you're born into this sick world and you're weak uh, and you're dim of wit like the rest of us. So, you know, if we were, uh, if we have the grace to be a great saint, then we'll sin less. We'll still sin, but we'll sin less. And uh, we say that the Blessed Virgin Mary was, uh, you know, conceived without original sin, and that she was protected from sinning, even as the smallest of sins, by a special grace uh, in view of the merits of Jesus Christ. But that's just one example. Uh, that's an extreme uh, exception. The rest of the saints were sinners. They were sinning. And even Mary is a sinner, but she was just protected from, from sinning by a special grace. So, uh, yeah, you can you can repent, and you mm-hmm. should repent, and you will repent, hopefully. And uh, I'm sure you do repent uh, in your own way uh, every day. Okay? Mm-hmm. You hurt your wife's feelings, and then you apologize, and it's yeah. just natural, right? <laughs> but um, you know, you need you need the you need the supernatural uh, virtues of faith, hope, and love to go to heaven. So that's that's a gift of God that you have to say yes to eventually. And um, but yeah, everyone can be saved. But when you get forgiven, um, there's still those consequences because this great organism, this great creation, is groaning. Uh, under the sin, the, the original sin, and then our actual sins, and uh, so you got to you got to pay for that, yeah, with karma. That's that's 100 percent true. But there's also a way to reduce that. What we call uh, we don't actually technically call it karma, but I just like using that word because it borrows from the East, and it's it's nice to reunite the ideas. But the the thing is that you can reduce the temporal punishment due to sin. And you can do that by what's called indulgences, and they're very uh, controversial. You know, you think about Luther, how he revolted against the abuses of the indulgences, but the indulgences themselves are a good, and every good is subject to abuses. So if you look into the history of the, the Reformation, you'll see the, the real story about indulgences. And I strive to get indulgences uh, all day, every day, because I want to reduce that karma, those temporal punishments, which are due to sin. Wow, that's really fascinating. So. It's cool because, like I said, you have a sense of humility and a sense of awareness of, like, I have a lot of work to do, I have things to do, but I also like your confidence or faith, whatever term you prefer. Uh, To me, they're both similar and they matter, and I like especially that you dabbled into mentioning all the wars and stuff because I think, you know, uh, I don't know when this is going to be released, but right now, you know, for the first time in about 10 years, I'm hearing people talk about war constantly, and, you know, it seems to be cyclical. You're, You're 52, I'm 42. Like, it's not the first time or the last time probably, but it is nice that you relate it to the bigger picture, because I think that's a lot of people's hang up with religions is they they're like, well, this is BS and this isn't. But I like how you're seeing like this much larger picture, which I also see. And, and again, it's I see it from a different perspective, like call it Schrodinger's cat or something else. But it doesn't matter. I'm still seeing this interconnectivity and in what and what you and I have been talking about. Um, as we draw to a close here, I always let my guests uh, have the floor and kind of like say what they want to say. Um, but I do want to ask you if it applies to you. Do you believe in like prophesizing? Like, is it is it good for you to go out of your way to try to get people to convert, or do you just leave and live and live and let live? Well, we're supposed to preach the gospel at all times and use words if necessary. That's what Saint Francis of Assisi said. So remember, I told you the little fantasy image of where I become more and more Christian to the point where I actually walk into a room and everyone's just you know you can hear the angels singing and everyone's getting healed and that sort of thing. That's like a cartoon caricature of it, but that, you know, we can read the history of the saints. We can see how powerful it is to be pure and holy. So that's what, that's really, uh, if I'm going to convert someone, I have to be holy. And I'm not doing a very good job of that. So for me to bash you over the head with 
Bible quotes or uh, Catholic dogmas or whatever, uh, it's going to be, first of all, it's going to be prideful and it's not going to really work. So uh, St. Paul says in the Bible somewhere that if you use reason and arguments to convert someone, you're not converting them to religion, you're converting them to reason and arguments, which is what I described Satanism as. Mm -hmm. Satanism is reason and arguments. So, uh, yeah, it's all about holiness. And so, I mean, if if you can save if you can save one soul with your holiness, be instrumental in the grace of God to save one soul by your holiness, then that covers a multitude of sins. And so, I think uh, I think you'll be saved if you can do that. And it sounds like a small thing, but uh, really, it's very daunting if you know yourself. If you look into your heart and see the darkness that's there, and uh, the selfishness, uh, you realize that to be holy enough to to influence one other soul, even if it's your beloved uh, spouse or, or uh, mother or father, whatever, or child, uh, it's a big ask, it's a big task, and it's, as Jesus said, it's impossible for man, but with God, nothing's impossible. So that's why we have to be humble, we have to say everything good is a gift from God, what do we have that we've not received, and if you've received it, why are you boasting? So uh, yeah, it's all about humility and holiness, And uh, but uh, yeah, we should preach, preach always using our actions not uh, necessarily words. Now, having said that, I'm also into philosophy and, uh, you know, Twitter battles and stuff like that. It is fun <laughs> to, to knock around ideas. It's fun yeah. to play with ideas. Yeah. And I like, I like to be right. I like to win arguments, as we all do. But we just need to keep it in a proper perspective and love the person and make the person uh, the end and not a means to an end. So, yeah, I bear that in mind. If I'm having fun arguing with a fellow a Christian of another worldview or like a Protestant or an Orthodox, uh, I have to keep that in mind that, yeah, this is fun arguing, but it's not really that, the main thing. It's not really the Christian thing. Wow. That was such a great answer, David. Thank you so much. Um, everyone, again, I, I really encourage you. Uh, obviously, you like philosophy and obviously you like metaphysics. You're listening to the Coffin Talk podcast. You're also probably a subscriber to the Casual Cosmist, the essays I write, which are always philosophical and or metaphysical. So please check out the CDS podcast, um, Catholic Verses. Um, it's it's interesting. And you've heard David talk and he's a great host. And uh, something, by the way, just to compliment, you do a great job with uh, listening to your guests and giving them a lot of time in the floor. So I hope I did the same for you today. And uh, it was a total pleasure to walk through your life. And for everyone listening at home, the number one way to support the show is to head over to mikeyop.com. That's M-I-K-E-Y-O-P-P.com and uh, sign up for the weekly essay. And uh, yeah, we appreciate you listening. And please check out David's podcast. It'll be in the notes. Uh, again, there'll be a link and everything for you. And David, thank you for coming on the show. And to everyone listening, my name is Mike Oppenheim. You have been listening to Coffin Talk, and we will see you soon.